you can only have a solution to a problem when you actually call the problem for what it is. And with Eftrin, we haven't been doing that. One, we call it harmful traditional practice. It's not harmful traditional practice. It's a serious sexual assault against children. The media has to stop giving platforms to people who are backing this view as well. There's a difference between having different views, but there's an absolute big difference when someone's promoting the violence of children. Anyone who's ever experienced violence is not the violence itself. It's when the others on the other side either don't believe them or minimize it. Language is so important when we talk about this. They were not married off. They were raped by men. For my view on the law, we should never have a law on FGM because we already have law that says you cannot abuse a child. So if you cut children's fingers, I'm going to have another separate law now. This is the NFGM podcast with Leila Hussein. Welcome to the End FGM podcast. My name is Jeremiah Kipainoi. I spend time with change makers who are making an impact in Kenya and beyond. Each week, we listen to incredible stories of ordinary people just like you making a difference. They share their successes, failures, and what they are learning along the way. Thank you for being with me today. Let's get started. Today I'm seated with a Somali-born activist now based in the UK, a trained psychotherapist. Uh, she has served in different capacities from being the global ambassador of the Girl Generation, as uh, serving as the CEO of Hours Heaven, a coalition of Somali women campaigners and community activists against gender-based violence establishing the Dahlia project which is a support group for survivors of FGM and recently accepted the naming as an officer order of the British Empire commonly known as the OBE welcome to the end FGM podcast Leila Hussein it's a pleasure having you here introduction who is Leila oh my god uh, a brief introduction who who is Leila Leila it's a very proud troublemaker who will not apologize for asking the most uncomfortable conversations but she would do it with a very loving and in a safe environment uh that's who leila is briefly but you know i've t- i've taken on big subjects like you know uh, fgm which is very uncomfortable for people as you can see but my biggest war hasn't been against fgm has been uh trying to fight a patriarchal system that actually controls women and their bodies and their sexuality and i think for me fundamentally that is what i i'm known for more than anything else you were born raised in somalia and you went to italy and uh yeah, i had yeah. an interesting childhood so i grew up between so my parents are from somalia uh 10 days after i was born we moved to saudi arabia because my dad had a job there and and then but he worked for an italian company meaning italy became our second home as a kid so i, I was between uh these two countries till was, the civil war happened in somalia but and that's how we end up in the UK um as refugees so that's so but I spent most of my life in Britain but yeah you studied and grew up uh, not really knowing that you had gone through what people would consider FGM like a vice well i i knew i've undergone FGM but i just didn't know it was a bad thing and i and i'm and, and this is my view while i lived in the west because i think people have this idea people that live in the west are free and they know all the right things and 
and I've, and I've always used that example just because I live in London. That I mean, actually, I remember when the first time that question was asked by a health professional, my response was, oh, I didn't have the worst type. So, and I, am, and I have my baby, like she's only like two months old, little girl. And that particular health professional, Jennifer Bourne, I mean, Jennifer and I still work together, um, recognized the risk I was in just based on my response. Because she could see that I wasn't, when I wasn't against it, I was actually saying there was nothing wrong with it. So that was the alarm bell, and which really started off this journey for me. You started asking questions. I started asking questions, like, to my, it started with my friends. Actually, even though I'm a psychotherapist now who runs support groups for women, I started it way before. I was running groups in my mom's living room, you know, asking my friends, so, have you been kind? I remember their, their reaction, like, what the hell are you asking me that question? Like, as if I've committed a crime. And I knew something was wrong based on the, react the fact that we couldn't even ask the question. So my question was, if this is something that we celebrate and we should be proud of, why are we scared to even talk about it then? So we must know something's wrong. And that was really what prompted a lot of my questioning around the whole, this whole violence against women and girls. Yeah. You also talked about relapses experiences that you didn't really think about but yeah. while doing examinations it was during my pregnancy so what happened was so i had uh, i forgot the name of this condition but it's a condition that some women get when they're pregnant where they can't maintain food you're just vomiting for the whole nine months it was not a fun pregnancy the problem is you would i would use a lot of fluid meaning i would end up in hospital when you're pregnant and you end up in a hospital it's a standard procedure they give you a vagina examination to me, that was the worst thing that could happen to me. So every time I was vaginally examined, I would black out. But no one actually said, what is wrong? Why is she blacking out? No one, I mean, I'm, I'm still angry about that because those who didn't do their job properly. So why didn't anyone ask why I was blacking out? No one bothered to ask, unfortunately. So all they would do is wake me up and send me back home. So for me, that was, it, and it was only this. So that was pregnancy, right? And then my daughter's born, this nurse who finally asked me the question, says, what was your pregnancy like? And I said, oh, it was horrible. I didn't like it. She was horrible about giving birth. And I said, it wasn't the birth itself. I said, it was being examined. And she was the first ever human being to tell me you were having flashbacks. And something made sense. She goes, our bodies have a way of remembering something that you suppressed. So we suppress the feeling or the memory from our brains. But our bodies have a way of remembering it. So my, every time I was having a blackout, my body was saying, look, pay attention to this. And that's really where I was angry at the midwives who missed me, my doctor, the hospital who, who didn't say a word. Um, no one told me about my own body. So, yeah, I've been angry since. Like, 17 years later, I'm still pissed off, which serves me right, you know. I have every right to be pissed most of the time. I know you are quite vocal in, in how we express it because here I have, sat, I have sat down with a couple of people and they say... It's a harmful cultural practice. They say it's a religious a practice. And I've sat down with also religious leaders who are trying to debunk the myth that FGM is part of the religion. And so I'm always asking myself, how can we better communicate what FGM is in a way that is not going to harm the survivors or also help people who are perpetrators to just keep on going? Well, with me, actually, with me, it's always been very simple when it comes to messaging because it's, as for me, it's going back and re-changing the words we're using. And I, and I mentioned this yesterday, where I'm constantly saying, you can only have a solution to a problem when you actually call the problem for what it is. And with FGM, we haven't been doing that. 
One, we call it harmful traditional practice. It's not harmful traditional practice. It's a serious sexual assault against children. See, when you say it like that, the solution is quite simple, no? It's very simple. Serious sexual assault. But when you say it's a traditional harmful practice, everybody's like, oh, okay, then how do we deal with it? So for me, the message has been quite clear. Call it for what it is. Then the solutions would, it's right in front of you. And that's been always been my message. However, however, I'm not going to compare people to my environment. You know, everybody works in different environments. However, however, as activists, this is why it's great to have podcasts like this, actually. However, it's important that people share different approaches. We cannot take every single issue with the same approach. But maybe another approach for you, I guess, as someone who works in the media, the media has to stop giving platforms to people who are backing this view as well. There's a difference between having different views but there's an absolute big difference when someone's promoting the violence of children. We cannot, in the media, we cannot keep doing that. And especially in the continent of Africa, I'm forever telling white people, you would never have agreed if a white girl was in this position. And they would never even entertain the idea that somebody from opposing view, because, you know, to them, that's, they're protecting their girls. But what I see in Africa over and over, and over again, in our own media, we entertain this view over and over again. And actually should be looking at ourselves, wait a minute, is our girls are being violated and we're giving a platform to someone who thinks it's okay? Absolutely. So there's another approach. You, <laughs> you, you made cupcakes. The vagina cupcakes. Do you, you know there's a story how I tried to smuggle into Ethiopia? Because women in Africa were wanted the cupcakes, but there was no bakery that was going to make it. Maybe actually I'm going to make a call out on a bit this podcast. If there is a baker in Kenya who would like to make vagina cupcakes, please let me know. DM me on my Twitter page because we cannot find one because everybody's scared. The reason I did the cupcake was quite simple. I'm a visual person. I like creativity. I love working with creative people. And I thought, how do I make this very British? British people like bacon. We love cupcakes. So I thought, what? A really good friend of mine goes, Leila, have you seen this woman who was teaching children about safe sex? And but she was teaching kids about the, the woman's body. So she, used, she was using cupcakes. So cupcake is not threatening. It tastes good. You know, it's not like it's, it's not going to scare people. So I use it as a form of tool. And, and, and through that, it wasn't just cupcakes. We, we, I worked with other artists who developed a plasticine, massive vagina plasticines for me, where I perform FGM with, and show boys how it's done. I literally perform FGM right. When people say, oh, no, it's a transition. I'm like, oh, yeah, is this traditional practice? Like, and I actually start performing FGM on these plasticines so people can actually physically see what happens to our girls. So for me, working with creative people, it's absolutely a great way. But again, it's like you have to find different approaches all the time. I worked with artists. I worked with uh, documentary makers, journalists. But it's all creative. Do you, you see what I mean? So again, let's not brush everybody with the same. Yeah. But we have to be clear on this is violence. We have to start from the point of this is violating children. It's one of the worst forms of violation a child will ever experience. And it will continue for the rest of their life. The fact that we're still tiptoeing stuff that affects women till the day it happens to the day they die. We, we have to really be outraged by it, yeah. And Africa really has to be outraged by this because the world looks at us like, why aren't you guys upset enough? We should be absolutely angry. The fact that we are not angry worries me. We re it really worries me that we're not that outraged about this. In your communication, also in your messaging, you talk about people who've gone through um, FGM mm. are strong people. But we are often, in, in the media, often portray it as... They went through it. They are depressed people. They are victims. going. They are victims, and you are really very 
categorical about how you express a woman who's gone through this? One, one, one thing we have to remember, when people say, oh, I don't want to be victimized. One, you have to remember, when you're violated, you are a victim. And that's fine, and you should be. But it's how you come out of it. What, you know what, 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 uh, what hurts any, anyone who's ever experienced violence is not the violence itself. It's when the others on the other side either don't believe them or minimize it. That really, really is so damaging to people. And what's, what's damaged, what's da- I mean, for, even for, I mean, I was on a journey for years, you know. I, haven't, I wasn't like this from the day I came onto this. It was a process, you know, it was a, really a process. My views keep changing. My opinions are changing all the time. But that happens because I'm always listening. But, but fundamentally, I'm always coming back to that point. It's child abuse. And I'll always go from that point. I'm not going to back down on that view. It's a serious sexual assault. I'm not backing down on that view either. Uh, when I met the girls from Samburu, the reason I made that statement in terms of we have to call, they were not married off. They were raped by men, you know. Do you know what that does for that girl? Because we, what we've done this whole time, we've been shutting her down saying, but he was your husband. He was your husband. I mean, well, every time they kept saying I ran away from my husband, I would just go, you run away from your perpetrator. It was not your husband. So language is so key, so key. Sorry, I, I know you asked me a question, but we went somewhere else, which is like what we're doing here, right? Which is processing. Yeah, it's still it's still on messaging because you also said you also said that um, when we talk about FGM as a cultural practice, mm. and you compared it with someone having access to someone's genitals, I'd say mm. it's it's such a complicated issue because if normally someone is found probably touching a child's genitals, then that would have been taken very seriously. But people are not taking, sometimes they don't take FGM as seriously as, as things like defilement. Don't. No, they don't. They're abs- because, but we play a role in this, you know. We call it harmful practice. Language is so important when we talk about this. Language, is key language defines how we actually challenge this issue. I don't even like calling it practices violence, full stop. I mean, it's like child marriage pedophilia that's what it is you know domestic violence there's nothing domesticated about violence just because it's your husband or partner if a strange man beat me up today he would never be considered domestic violence why is it when it's the, the whole system uh, 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 it's the whole system is corrupt in a way to yet again to put a label on the victim and what we don't do we don't even put on the correct labels we're minimizing their experience because yet again it protects the perpetrators Domestic violence protects the perpetrator, not the actual victim. Because if a strange man beats me up today, he will be arrested and convicted of his crimes, right? If it's my husband or my partner, I'm expected to go and report this person. So can you imagine? I'm expected to report the person who violates me. How the hell am I going to do that? So, this, so that's why language is key. So when we are talking about FGM... We are talking about one of the worst forms of child abuses, really. Like, it's one of the worst. It's so bad. It's so... It actually reminded me of a Kenyan activist, Agnes Pereo. I followed Agnes for many years. And I remember when we were launching the girl generation, one of the journalists from the UK said, oh, you know, isn't this going to go underground? You know? I mean, by the way, what crime is overground? That's always my, my, question, my answer to that question. Like, what crime is overground? Now, who says I'm going to go and commit? I'm going to go and kill people. I'm going to go rape children. No one says it. So the fact it's gone underground, great. But Agnes's response was really brilliant. She said, "Do you know? Because as Africans, we are so smart. 
we are so intelligent that we didn't cut girls' hands and feet off because we wanted to control their sexuality. But we are so clever that we made you, the white person, think this is okay. <gasps> I was like, oh my God. She said that. She goes, even you, you asking me that question is a problem because we made you think this is okay. And then she ended it with, the sad part about this whole thing is, even as, as Africans, we, you know, we scream and shout about stuff all the time. But the fact that every 11 second a girl is being mutilated and the fact that we're not shouting, we're not being in the streets, screaming, again, that's the problem. So that we have to take it seriously. But to take it seriously, I have to call it for what it is first. Let's go into the law. In the uh, UK, there was a law since 1985. Then in 2003, they updated, updated it, it yeah. and the first conviction actually in, happened, this year. happened this year. And another one got, I think there was a, a yeah. botched one in... Um, earlier this year and it's taken so long for the law to be implemented and I'm I've been thinking about the role of activists or people who are going to speak to be speaking about issues in making things happen because here sometimes you find that someone is only looking at everything at a micro level oh, totally. from my village from my community you can't brush everybody with the same and I mean yeah, finish your question then I'll answer yeah so my question would be um, just because someone is listening to this and wondering what's my role as, a, as an activist? What can I do? What can I change in terms of pushing for policy, in terms of um, bringing people together as a network or something? So my view on the law, we should never have a law on FGM because we already have law that says you cannot abuse a child. I mean, that's my stance on the law. I think there's too much time and emphasis spent on, oh my God, we ban FGM. I'm like, uh, wait a minute, wasn't, wasn't there a law that says you cannot physically harm a child? Why don't we use that law? Because my problem again is when it's black, Asian or Middle Eastern kids, we have to have a separate law for them. And it's imposed by the West most of the time. Because they, they keep calling it the symbolize. I go, no, no, no. And I remember watching a case in the UK where a white girl came out to her family as being gay. Her dad was very conservative. What did he do in the middle of the night while she was sleeping? Took a knife and cut her clitoris off right? It's FGM, right? And he didn't do it once. He's done it a few times to punish her, right? Guess, guess which law he was convicted under? The Child Abuse Act. But if he was an African dad, what would have happened? Right. Let's not quickly run to these laws. Actually, we should be fighting. Again, there is a law. Why, would, why do I have to? So if you cut children's fingers, are we going to have another separate law now? So that's one issue about the law. The only country that's done really well when it comes to that is France. France doesn't have a law and they have the highest conviction ever, any, anywhere in the world, I think. Why? Because, and I met the prosecutor, she goes, Leila, children have to be treated equally under any type of law. We are not going to have a separate law because that child's African. Absolutely. Actually, the FGM acts in the West, I absolutely consider them to be racist. That's how I feel. And I said it publicly a few times to people who are very proud of themselves for having an FGM act. Actually, I freak out every time in a continent someone goes, oh, we banned FGM in that country. I'm like, oh, God. I go, don't you know it's already illegal? So I would say to anyone listening to do your reading. Educate yourself. Don't just jump on things. FGM is actually illegal all over the world. It's very clear. So that's my point. But in terms of activists getting involved, I always say this to any activist, anyone wants to get involved. Don't do what someone else is doing. Look at your skills. 
What skills do you bring into this? Are you a writer? Are you interested in policy? Are you, so don't, if you're someone interested in policy, don't go out there and march in the street because that's not your thing. Do you see what I mean? You have to, and always, always say to somebody, partner up or go and, go and work with somebody who might actually need, you might need to fill in that gap for them. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so important. So activists don't all have the same views. I think that's also another thing to remember. We are human beings. I mean, look at the FGM campaign. I'm someone who really stands alone inside because I'm very, people call me radical in terms of my views. I am someone who believes I shouldn't talk to religious leaders, but that doesn't mean everybody else shouldn't do that. I'm not giving platform to religion. I refuse to give platform to religious leaders because I'm saying then you're making it about religion. I'm not negotiating a girl's body for anybody. I'm not asking for your permission. I'm actually telling you to keep your hands out of my body. So do you see what I mean? So that's my approach. But there might be another activist who's doing great work with religious leaders. And, and if that's what you do best, then focus on that. So not, again, not everybody takes the approach the same way. So that's also another thing to remember. Wow, because here, speaking about the law and... Oh, and, to, oh I know. Yeah, I know, I know that here we have been launching policies oh, every so single nice. year. So um, nice. The county policies, the national policy, another it's, policy. No, no, it's creating jobs for people. That's what it is. Somebody wants to stay in their job. That's how I really believe these things are sometimes. Literally, someone stay in a job. So what they will do, they create... Oh, we need to create another, another law. For God's sake, just go, just go look at the UN Children's Con Con uh, um, Convention that we all signed on to clearly says you cannot physically, psychologically, socially harm a child and it's a crime. Do you know the only people who haven't signed on to that? America. See, you should go and do your studies. The whole world has signed on to this, except America. Do you know why? Because America has children on death row. Do you see why protecting children is so important? When we sign on to something, use the law. America's smart. They're having, well, let's rephrase that. America's not that smart. Uh, but when it comes to the, in terms of children, they didn't sign on to this because it means they have to get rid of that. They cannot, process, they cannot have children on death rows. So why can't we just look at it universally like that? Why do we have to have separate laws? Uh, so that's my view on that. Yep. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think... No. Yeah. Uh, just a few minutes, just wrapping up. But um, yeah, this went off, and she has the password. I don't know where she sat down. It's fine. I'm sure this conversation. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. All right. So um, we are always uh, talking about our voices from the grassroots as a national um, team from different parts of the country who are trying to lobby and make sure that things happen, either from a policy level, either from um, an enforcement level. And sometimes it's not easy to bring people together. But you've been able to work with different people, both in the UK, you've been working with activists from uh, also Somalia. And you've, you've been able to you know, bring people together. What's the secret behind that? Uh, actually, uh, to correct something, I worked mainly. I worked with activists, no, no, not mainly in Somalia. Actually, I haven't been back in Somalia because of my views. <laughs> There's one, but I do work with act Somali activists in the UK. But the, the activists who I worked with the most are actually Kenyans. I feel like Kenya is like giving me another home. For me, I always say, so why do I bring? Why do I succeed in bringing people in the same room who share different views? By the way, share totally different views. I'm forever saying it's very important we create a safe space where we're going to have a very uncomfortable conversation. If you set the tone that way, 
People already know they're not going to have the same views. And I do that with everything, with meetings, with organizations. I'm like, hey, 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 we're not here to agree. But what we can do is actually have a very respectful conversation where we can all hear each other. So you set the tone. Let's all listen. Let's all respond at the same time. Just because someone's different than you, that doesn't mean they're wrong. So you have to set the tone. So whenever environment or space that I'm in, and I actually encourage different views, it would be so boring if we had the same similar views. But, but, it's reminding everybody that we have one fundamental goal, is to end this violence. We want to end this abuse against children. If, so if we go into a room with that view already, we're not going to share similar approaches. We might not even have similar views about the world. But can we both agree that we want this to end? Yes. You will find those people will hang out together. And justifies the means. Absolutely. Um, just a few minutes, um, talking about the human library. Um, yes. You, I found you <laughs> sitting with a group of young people mm. from different countries talking about their journeys as activists and learn, them just speaking out what mm. works for them. Yeah. And I realized that there are, some, there, there are completely different approaches and as you said, Absolutely. ideas and Absolutely. how people should think that the solutions really yeah. are. Why is that important? Okay, so uh, let me give a background to the actual human library. So the human library is one person just standing there and talking to everybody else. I was like, how condescending is that? I knew a lot of my colleagues were in the building and I literally for two days, I'm like, hey, that day, make sure you're there. I said, we're going to share this platform together because people are going to come and want to learn about FGM, but they need to hear the different versions. So even in that, I was doing exactly what I was explaining just now. I wanted people not to, because one, to have, to be in Kenya, in Nairobi, and to have a woman from London to tell people, I, that's offensive itself. Um, so I thought, how do I better use that space? And I wanted people to, and you can see that my amazing colleague, Sarian, we had a very opposing uh, views on things, but we, none of us backed away from our um, points, but we're both speaking from experience. That's why we have those views. And I think it's important. Anyone who's listening to this podcast and you're an activist or you bring people together, do not encourage one view. Absolutely stay away from it. And if you don't like it, you can just respect it and not respond to it. That's what you have to do. So for me, it's important that we encourage different views, not just one. Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Perfect. So we want to bring this to a close. Someone is listening to this and is wondering, where do I start? I know you started off speaking to friends, uh, just speaking out. But someone is wondering, okay, I am now in this village. Where do I start? Uh, there you go. Bring it. Uh, and, and let me tell you, you start with just speaking with one, one, one person. That's a big start because you might be the first one to even ask them that question. It's that simple. That's what, that's what happened for me. I asked one of my best friends, I go, have you been cut? She was like, what? She goes, why are you asking me that question? But slowly, slowly, we continued this conversation over days, weeks, kept coming back. And for me, actually, the whole idea of safe space started, was planting my head back then. I knew everything had to start with a very respectful conversation. Sometimes it can get quite rough out there. But again, if you want to get involved in something like this, one, check your skills you're going to bring in. Because we need skills when you do it. You can't be an activist. If your skill is you can bring communities together. If your skill is that how you communicate people verbally. If your skill is I'm going to organize a gathering outside my house. Do it. That's, that is, because sometimes people think activism, it's like you go on stage and, you know, you're shouting crazy stuff like I do. No, activism is really working from grassroots level. That's what real activism, and real activism is 
I'm going to create an environment where change can actually happen. And that could be different. You could be an artist. Um, you can paint about this. You could be uh, a scriptwriter. Write a play about this. You're a journalist. You're interviewing me about this. You know, it's that. So you're part of the campaign because you've created a whole podcast around this. That's been a campaigner. You are a campaigner, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Perfect. Um, we want to bring this to a close. Um, and I know you have lots of people reaching out to you, either on email or whatever, but uh, someone listening to the, this podcast probably wants to grow or probably wants to reach out and ask questions. Mm. How would they do that? So if you go on my Twitter page at Leila Hussein, there's a link of, of my website and there's a contact sheet where you can... So my, uh, p- uh, my website's called magol.org, M-A-G-O-O-L.org. So you go. So if you go on there, or you can go. You can go and find out about my work at the Girl Generation website. So I developed an emotional well-being tool for activists. So if you are an activist, actually go and check that particular tool. And there's a really good communication tools on there. So either my goal or the Girl Generation is the place to go and find me. And there's a contact sheet where you can. And I, I and people uh, it will be forwarded to me. Yeah, but just be patient with me because I. Last time I checked, I had 3,000 unread emails, just saying. <laughs> so I'm not ignoring you, I'm just... Uh, and it's great, people want to reach out and talk to me, so I really appreciate it. Yeah. Perfect, that was Leila Hussein, the end of, uh, and we have sat down here in Nairobi. Um, it's amazing sitting down with you, and I keep doing the amazing work, you know. Um, to the listener, it's been also an amazing time. Uh, with you listening to us speaking about things that not not everyone speaks about and it's a blessing to also have Leila here in Nairobi and just as an encouragement whatever you're going to be doing do it with all your heart and let's end FGM this is the end FGM podcast and together with the end FGM podcast team till next Monday stay safe You can get bonus materials, notes, and much more at www.kipainoi.com. K-I-P-A-I-N-O-I.com. Please remember, we all can do something. Go out and make a difference. For we all have a responsibility to make this world a better place. Goodbye.